0: Featuring conversations with guests from around the world of sports, media, pop culture, and all things Buffalo. With your host, Patrick Moran.
1: All right, what is going on, everybody? How you doing? Welcome to another episode of Talking Buffalo, your weekday daily driver for Buffalo Sports Talk and more. I am your host, Patrick Moran. This episode is sponsored by Imperial Pizza. One of the best piece of joints you'll find anywhere in Buffalo. Now with two locations, everybody knows the South Buffalo Ave location. That's their staple place, but they are now open as well at 1665 Main Street. So if you live out that way, make sure you go check them out. Imperial, great place to go eat. Um, We are taping this. So if you're watching this on the video side anyway, we are actually doing this live late on Monday night. Most of you will be listening to this in audio podcast form. Sometime, hopefully on Tuesday, whether you're watching, whether you're listening, appreciate you all very, very much. I am joined again. This is maybe 15 minutes or so after a a Buffalo Sabres victory over Arizona. I'm joined by my buddy PK from the Buffalo Sports Collective. We've done this a handful of times now. And by the way, the first two times the Sabres lost when we did this live, right? Now there's two in a row. I know I'm on a roll. What's going on? How you doing? Gonna have me
2: on after every show. Apparently
1: now, keep uh, keep keep this uh, momentum going. I'm not sure that our significant others would like us doing this after every uh, (laughs) after every Sabers game. All right, so we're gonna spend some time tonight or today, depending again when you're consuming this. Um, I want to talk about Sunday's critical, and I mean literally critical Buffalo Bills victory over the Kansas City Chiefs. Now that we've had a night, or in some cases, two nights to kind of sleep on it. I feel like I have a different perspective now than I did uh, taping this with Tone Pucks literally minutes after that game ended I had some time to think on that. So we'll spend some time talking about that. We'll also talk about the Buffalo Sabers. Like I said, again, a big, much-needed victory, a convincing victory, where a lot of things went their way tonight. And we'll, we'll talk about that as well uh, over Arizona. We'll get to that in just a second. Got to ask you, man, we're hitting the midpoint of December now. What are we a little less than uh, or two weeks, two and a half weeks away from uh, Christmas, man. What's going on at that household over there in Niagara Falls, man? Are you getting into the uh, to the holiday spirit? Has it fully hit you yet? Um, It usually doesn't hit me until
2: five days before when I'm really out there doing Christmas shopping because I'm a last minute person. Uh I think people have sent me their ideas that they would like for the holidays but it doesn't mean i'm actually going to go out and get them yet. i'm i'm a really last minute shopper. i'm one of those ones that are out there on the 22nd, 23rd, 24th getting the final
1: wrap up gifts. i did that for the longest time, dude. longest time i used to do that. now most of my shopping is online and most of it gets done well in advance. like i might have maybe a couple small things left to pick up for people, but uh pretty much have taken care of all that shit and i've done it uh online. Anyway, all right, good to know. I, I want to dive right in with the Buffalo Bills. Let let's start there. And for people, if you didn't watch on late Sunday or listen to the podcast on Monday, I did a live show, much like BK and I are doing right now on the video side. Anyway, I think we met a one on the air, maybe fifteen to twenty minutes after uh, the Bills beat Kansas City, and barely had even had time to put any, you know put some stats on paper and bullet points. To talk about with my guy, Tone Pucks, who I do most of those shows with. And I was telling you this. We, we chatted for a few minutes uh, before we started rolling here. I listened back to it um, the next morning. And I realized, you know, PK, I, I think we have become conditioned to expect failure when it comes to the Buffalo Bills. When it's a tight game, a one-score game. At the very end, it's just happened a lot. I think I've, the stat I heard was like the Bills are like two and six over their last eight one score games. And sure enough, the Bills took a, a lead inside two minutes in Kansas City. And I'm like, here we go. You know, just almost expecting. It. Anyway, as we all know now, of course, the Bills won the game. And I listened back to the show and both Tony and I, I, I feel like it was almost shell-shocked. And I didn't know how to react, you know, in real time. And I almost the narrative of this show yesterday was almost like, well, the Bills got lucky. You know, it was just nothing more and nothing less. And I'm looking back now and I'm like, that's not really, it's not really accurate, man. You know, Buffalo went into Kansas City and they might be struggling, especially on offense, because their defense has been good all year. But the offense has struggled. But that is still the defending Super Bowl champions that is still the best quarterback on this earth on the other sideline and a very difficult place to play. One of the few stadiums where you'll ever see the bills go on the road and not have a very large percentage of bills. Fans. A lot of road games for the Buffalo bills almost feel like neutral site games because of how many fans there are, but you don't get that shit in Kansas city. Anyway, a lot of things going against them. And, uh, they won, and I feel like they earned it, man. Before I get going with any other stuff like that, what, what was your initial thoughts on the game on Sunday? Were you surprised going into the game? Because we didn't talk before the game. You know, did What was your expectation for the Bills going into the game? And what was your level of, what was your feeling right immediately after the game?
2: Yeah, I mean, me and Phil recorded. We weren't live, but we recorded it for the Monday episode. Maybe like thirty minutes after the the game concluded, and mm-hmm. we were about the same as you. I mean, I was battling a pounding headache for the last five hours, so I was already down and out for the count, Uh-oh. just trying to get through the episode. But it, it was definitely more just like, okay, they got the job done. It's on to the next. You know, uh, what are their playoff chances after this win? It definitely wasn't. I think you set the the narrative perfect where after a full night of sleep, digesting it again, realizing how solid of a victory it actually was because you did defeat the defending Super Bowl champions in their own house, Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, all those big-name players. Now, yes, they're not the Kansas City Chiefs of last year, but it's still the Kansas City Chiefs. You're still going against Patrick Mahomes and those great, great players. He doesn't have the wide receiver group to really – get it done this year because there's drops all over the place and you saw what Tony did at the line. But yeah, I don't yeah. think our show did them justice either. And I think come our Friday show, we're probably going to have to talk about that. But yeah, I, I think we're in the same camp as you where we didn't appreciate what they actually were able to accomplish on Sunday.
1: Yeah, for sure. And you know, let's, let's start with Sean McDermott. obviously, he has been the big topic of conversation. And maybe we could spend a few minutes and a little bit talking about Tyler Dunn's article. I kind of want to get your perspective on it, just the article itself, some of the fan reaction and stuff like that. But let's start with Sean McDermott because I, I gotta tell you when the game was over, like when the Bills made the stop on fourth down, and it was uh who who got the pressure? It was Leonard Floyd. Leonard Floyd yep, got yep. the pressure, Mahomes got rid of the ball quick fell harmlessly, and they cut to a, a camera shot of Sean McDermott on the sideline. And he had like his hands on his thighs, put his head down momentarily for a second. And honestly, my first thought was, that the Bills just get a defensive penalty? Because it almost looked like a demoralizing look from Sean McDermott for a split second. You know what I'm talking about?
2: Oh, yeah. You remember yeah, that? Over. It was like everything left his body for a second.
1: Yes. Exactly. And for, again, for a quick fleeting moment, I thought that was actually a defensive penalty and we were like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. That's like maybe for a half second, how I felt. Then I realized that this was him visually showing that at least in this moment, like the weight of the world was clearly on his shoulders from the time that article dropped on Thursday, and you know what, before the article too, I mean, there's a lot of pressure on this guy. The Bills came in at his game six and six, and uh, maybe not quite on life support with playoff hopes, but they could not afford to lose his football game. So there was already plenty of pressure before that. And then you have everything that happened Thursday, Friday, Saturday, leaning into the game. And then a tough game with a one-score lead. Sean McDermott is not oblivious to the fact of what the one-score record is for the Bills over the last eight games. And what's happened the last three times they've taken a lead inside the final two minutes. Anyway, it's like you could just hear him. You could see him, feel him breathe. Like that, that, uh, that sigh, that relief. I don't think I've ever seen, you know, I'm sure I have, but I can't remember in this moment anyway. I can't remember the last time I've seen a coach that was, so relieved as is Sean McDermott. He's like, now I can breathe again. You know what I'm saying? I thought that was a very telling moment. And that was a really good glimpse into probably how much is this is weighed on him over the last handful of days. You agree?
2: Oh yeah. I mean, you said it perfectly. That's the most emotion and, and or relief that we've seen out of Sean McDermott since he's been here. I mean, you could definitely yeah. tell it's been a very, very tough week for him. Even if you, Take that article out. They had the whole Von Miller thing the the week before, so oh, it's all yeah. just compounded in that whole bye week situation. All the things that the team and him specifically had to go through. So, uh, I mean, going into that one, like you explained perfectly, six and six, it's a must win game. You cannot lose to the Chiefs and fall another game below five hundred, including in the conference record, which is killing sure. them right now. Yeah, you cannot lose that game. So all the pressure. I think I don't know if he meant for the camera to hit that I don't even know if it was just him it was just a reactionary kind of thing because you know him he's supposed to be very composed he's supposed to have all his like everything's tied up buttoned sure. down I think that was just one moment of him just letting maybe not even the right word but out of character just him and then realizing oh shoot I'm still on camera gathering it back together smiling clapping cheering on the fans it seemed like for that split second it was not a very It was uncharacteristic for Sean McDermott to kind of show more emotion of him.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's a really good take. And I'll tell you, I'm going to put up a comment. If you're watching this on the video side, obviously on the audio side, I'll read it. If you are watching this live on the video side on Twitter, you can watch it, but you can't leave comments. If you want to actually leave a comment for the show, you would have to go to the Talking Buffalo YouTube channel. If you leave a comment there, I'd be able to see it, possibly get it up on the screen. But anyway, Jason M. commented, and he, and, and this was going to lean into one next point I was going to make anyway. He says, being in the locker room, heading in the game ball with Terry standing behind him and players screaming, we got your back, gave me goosebumps. I don't know if you have saw that yet, but a lot of people uh, did. It was on Twitter. The Bills tweeted it out um, after the game. A couple of choice words, too, from Brandon I mean, a couple F-bombs there along the way. Uh, Jason brings up a good point. It was, I I feel like I got a sense that it was definitely emotional in that locker room. And my sense was that there is some authenticity to it. I do think that the majority of these players on this football team, for sure, this addition of the Buffalo Bills and the coaches without question, have his back, so to speak. And my other takeaway from that is Brandon Beans there presenting him the ball, which is great. But Terry Bagula's lurking in the background. i seen that smile. My initial thought when I saw that was, this motherfucker ain't going nowhere, dude. <laughs> he's not getting fired. I mean, Tim Graham reported on this, you know, before the Tyler Dunn story. And I have felt, you know, for weeks now, I've said John McDermott probably deserves to get fired. I feel like he's taking this team as far as they can go. That's been my feeling for a while now. But I said, I don't see him getting fired He's got a contract extension that goes through 2027. They made the playoffs four straight years. They've won at least 10 games, four straight years, two of those 13 wins. I'm like, this dude ain't getting fired. I already felt that before. And now I see being in the locker room, those players, and I see Terry Bagula behind him in that locker room. I don't know if you agree or that was kind of the sentiment that you felt as well, but I'm like, this dude ain't going nowhere, fans. So if you still want Sean McDermott to get fired, you better find something else to get pissed about because he ain't going anywhere. Yeah, office. I mean,
2: going into that one, going into the season and and that bad stretch run, I was still in the camp. Should he get fired? There's enough evidence that say he should get fired. Is he going to? There's not a chance in heck he's getting oh. fired because he, I mean, even before Tim Graham put that, that information out, he wasn't getting fired in my opinion. I, I thought he was as safe as he could be because I thought the organization saw, okay, if this is the floor, of Sean McDermott, we can live with that because we've seen the high that he can get us to. I I, I mean, it, it was a nice feel-good story. It's almost like where th- they're so close-knit. I've never been in a football room, but you have to be so knit that you almost feel like a, a family in there. And if one person... I mean, regardless of how you're actually feeling towards your coach, I'm sure there's players in there that are not a fan of his coaching style, whatever, all that kind of stuff. But if an outside quote unquote outside person attacks one of your own, you jump on them and you defend them to the nth degree. Could this be a turning point of exactly what they need to get going? Because I mean, you're, you stack the win. You got to stack one versus Dallas next week, but this could be something that lights a fire under their butts and, goes on a run here
1: you know the the mere thought of a sports journalist being able to write something that would change the game for the team inside their own walls to me would have been unfathomable maybe a week or so ago because that was what I was going to ask you that next like do you think it's actually possible that this Tyler Dunn article that came out this week truly galvanized this team a little bit. They rallied these players around their coach. You know, some of them have been very vocal over the last couple of days with their support of him and Brandon Bean. And again, we saw it in the locker room after the game. This was, look, the game was important for the standings and for the Bills' playoff chances, but make no mistake about it. This game was very important to Shaw McDermott for extremely personal reasons. And again, going back to his reaction on the sideline in, in the seconds, following the fourth down stop, put the game away to, uh, to the locker room after the game. And it's just this feeling from getting that ball from being, you could just tell, forget about the records and all that other stuff for just a second here. You could just tell it was really, really, really personal for Sean McDermott.
2: Yeah. I mean, if this actually comes to fruition and they magically go on a magical run and, uh, Win the Super Bowl, uh, Tyler Dunn's going to get his own statue outside of the new stadium. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> if that's the thing that gets the Buffalo Bills over the hump and wins their first Super Bowl, you got to get statues and, <laughs> uh, and banners and whatever else to get him <laughs> outside of that new stadium. Because if that's what does it, you know, I'll pay for it. I'll help pay for it.
1: <laughs> Le- uh, Leanne King uh, comments, she said, If the Dunn story was all this team needed to get them motivated, I'll take it. I got to tell you, man. I I, good and bad. I can't remember the last time a news story got so such a polarizing reaction. Okay. The story itself was polarizing. And I I like to use the word polarizing because that can mean either you really, really love that story. And you're like, thank you. Finally, someone's really digging in and exposing a lot of shit that's going on not just on the field or, you know, the way they lose games, but what's going on personally at one Bills drive over the last few years. You could have that mindset or you could have the mindset that a lot of fans did, you know, that just, just feels like a, an attack, a personal attack on a Bills head coach who hasn't been able to get the job done. So it's just polarized because there's such polar extremes on how not just the story is written, but how people received it. Because I'll tell you, man, I spent, it came out on a Thursday last week. I'm telling you, man, I I probably spent five hours arguing with Bills fans because, and I told you this before, and I'm going to repeat this, what I've said on my show already. You might not agree with what Tyler said, at least some of it, or how he approached some of the stuff. And quite frankly, as the days that went on, I talked about this with Tone Pucks on the show yesterday. Nobody's a bigger Tyler Dunn fan than I am. But in hindsight, maybe some things I wish he would not have included or didn't need to be included. I think maybe it took away from, Some of the bigger points of the story that I feel like are not even being talked about now because of the 9-11 speech and because of, you know, maybe sources to the point speaking negatively that it kind of takes away from the message that was trying to be put out there. But anyway, my point was, I do know Tyler Dunn very well. I've known him for a very long time. Uh, I know his family and He's a he's a stand-up dude. He's a genuine guy. He's 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 not a fraud. He's certainly not a hack. He's one of the most talented sports journalists, long-form writers that you'll find anywhere in this country. He didn't set out to say, "Oh, let me see if I get a football coach fired, and I'm just gonna you know murder and assassinate his character," anything like that. That's not who Tyler Dunn is as a, as a human being, first and foremost. So I don't know. I spent a lot of time fighting with fans on that, but. Talk about the reactions. I, I know, you know, you're not maybe not on Twitter as much as I am because you have a life and I really don't, but, uh, just talk about some of the reactions, kind of how you felt too. When you, when, you know, when this news broke too, cause I haven't really asked you about that as well, but like your reaction and just some of the reaction from fans, cause it's been split. And I mean, like I said, polarizing.
2: Yeah. I mean, I I've been known to have a hothead in my past, but I've Mm. in my, (laughs) since my wife came along, that's cooled off. So I'm not responding to people as much as I probably would like in my past, but that was, it was a very, very polarizing article. Like you said, there was, what was more interesting was if like a week ago, how many of these people that were running to his defense on Thursday, Friday, whenever it came out, we're also calling for his head a week ago. You can't have Absolutely. It I mean, how many times have also people wanted to know more of the behind the scenes on what's actually happening in the front office behind the scenes at one bills, at one bills drive. There's been so many instances where people want more details of what actually goes into running a football team. You got it. I mean, yeah. sure. You might not like that. And the, the thing that I hated the most was, Oh, you, you can't even
1: name your sources, you know. Oh, there's people that I know because some people don't know job. what a is. Some people that's, don't know what a source is supposed to mean. I I, I completely
2: it makes no sense where you're going, oh, there's no name behind this, so it's just all fabricated. Tyler Don has so much back history of stuff that proves that what he writes is legit. Why it's it's even in small places like the NLL where one guy uh I go on a show every once in a while, Daily Dive. He reported something, and they were like, "Oh, it's not believable because you're not naming your source." And he's he's going, "Why would I name my source? Then I lose my source." And then an hour later, it comes true. It's just just because they don't name their source doesn't mean the source isn't true. It's that's yeah. the whole
1: point of this business. <laughs> I I got to tell you, man. Most people who said that didn't read the article. You know, yep. they got a couple bullet points Little or maybe blur. an excerpt on Twitter or whatever. Yeah, it was like, because first of all, to your point, exactly, do you not understand what a source is? I guess as the consumer, it's your rights and what you should do is say, all right, this person's writing this. Are they credible? You know, is this person, when they say a source says, do you consider that person credible? That's, I guess, how you should evaluate that. But also, it's inaccurate to just say it was nothing but one long character bash, because again, he did have people speak on the record very, very positively about Sean McDermott. I know Lee Smith did it. I know Patrick DeMarco did it. Uh, I know Isaiah McKenzie did it. Maybe one or two other people I came at. Now, of course, you know, much more more, were negative because that's kind of what the story was about, that this is not the coach that's going to get this team the most out of this team, and they're not going to win a Super Bowl. And most importantly, He's the one that's got to let Josh Allen be Josh Allen. And that's kind of what I felt like the big beat and potatoes. Jason comments that comments and says, in many ways that article served as, as a mirror. It either gave fodder to people who were already frustrated or caused people to defend McDermott and call it an attack. Very little fair analysis of it. I, I think that, that's a reasonable statement. And you're right, by the way. So many people who wanted Sean McDermott's ass gone a week ago saw that article and defended him. And it was kind of wild to see. And you're right. Cause it's like, yo, only I can fucking say this. Shit. Only I can mess with him. Only I can bully this guy. Only I could call for his head. You can't do it. Only I can. That was probably the wildest thing about the whole week and the whole article. Now that you bring that up.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, there were so many little bits and pieces of that where it, you, you kind of just shake your head and just go, how is, how is this true? Like this, this can't be real true. And then you're like, Oh my God, it actually is true. And then I, what was it? The press conference the next day he had his little cue card admitting that it was all true. So everybody that was saying, who are your sources, are your sources, sources that literally right there just proves that it actually did happen. So maybe moving forward, people instead of just running to Twitter about complaining that his sources might be anonymous, Maybe look back at Tyler Dunn's history and his works in the past to prove that, oh, man, this guy is legit. He's, he's got legit sources. And then it, it, I can't remember who it always is. It always says, like, wait and think before you hit send. Sure. Uh, maybe moving forward, <laughs> some of these
1: people out there should do that and just look, you know I mean? and do a little bit of research before they send something that's going to turn back on their head. I'm as guilty. I'm as guilty of that uh, of literally anybody. And you know, in full disclosure here too, I've talked to Tyler Dunn a handful of times. I've been texting. Him. We've been talking for days now since the article dropped. And what I can tell you, the 9/11 speech is the one that made headlines. You know, shit got on Sarah, it was on Saturday Night Live. They they spoofed that. Um, it was kind of wild to uh to see that on Saturday Live last Saturday. But anyway, his the points he was trying to show is that he's an awkward communicator with his team. And uh and then there's things about his character, which people call a hit piece or a character of assassination. But I mean, per credible sources that at least I know that are credible sources, there are lots of things that weren't even discussed because that 9-11 speech just dominated uh, what the headlines were. And I'm not going to, you know what, I don't want to relive every little detail of the article. My point was, it was just a, a fascinating piece a polarizing piece, no matter how you felt about it. And there's no doubt, you know, if you and I talk shit about Sean McDermott or Brandon Bean right now, they're not going to care. Hey, who gives a shit what Pat Moran or PK are saying about us right now at one Bill's drive. But Tyler Dunn wrote that, that reach was so wide that it got addressed at a press conference. And I do legitimately think that that became a big galvanizing point for this team. I think it actually mattered. And maybe their, are uh, the, you know, they're maybe if not so much their preparation, but certainly stepping up for their coach. I thought that mattered. Anyway, I want to make sure too, that we, I, again, I didn't feel like I gave the bills enough credit on yesterday's show, uh, the team and, and Josh Allen. And, uh, Again, this was you know the Chiefs. This was a big game for the Chiefs. This was the game they they had lost to Green Bay the week before. They're at home, and we've used this word a couple times this season. we were looking for a statement win for the Buffalo Bills or a get right game for the Buffalo Bills. I promise you, the Chiefs were coming into this game feeling that way, playing against uh, the Buffalo Bills. And like I said, I just I feel like I didn't give the the team enough credit, and uh and and deal for Josh Allen because I thought Josh Allen. Ugly interception, which is is a problem because he's doing that weekly. Uh, but that aside, dude, he made some great plays. He was under siege. The, the, the offensive line could not block well. I don't know. I just I thought Josh Allen played well. I, I guess that's my long-winded way of saying that. And I didn't give him enough credit. Problem reflection, Josh Allen played well and deserved more more shine and more flowers than I gave him.
2: Yeah, I mean, you said it perfectly. It, the offensive line struggled mightily in this one. He had almost no time back there. But I think you pointed out the interception. Was that his only forced error in that entire game? It seemed like Joe mm-hmm. Brady... I, I've said it multiple times. We needed an offensive coordinator that could more harness Josh Allen's wild cardness, where it, it seemed like Ken Dorsey couldn't do that. Three games in under Ken, or uh, Joe Brady... I mean, that whole game, th- typically that would be a Josh Allen pulling rabbits out of his hat, trying to go you know, balls to the wall, gunning it all over the place. He seemed more controlled taking those easy shots. I mean, a lot of them were dropped, but he was taking what the defense was giving him. He wasn't going for that home run shot that ended up getting intercepted besides that one uh, interception that was a terrible throw anyways. I don't know where he was aiming for it, but it seemed like Josh or Joe Brady might have the ear of Josh Allen that's like, hey, run it this way, be smart, be uh, surgical down the field, and you can beat these teams. And hopefully with a 20-17 to 17 victory proves to Josh Allen, hey, you don't have to be this crazy wildcard guy. I, I can get you to the promised land by just play, d- using the play calls that I call.
1: You're not wrong. There were some Joshy moments, though, good and bad. You know what I mean? That that's just who he is a, as a that player. Cylindro. That one, <laughs> that one that, that's how does he how is he not in bounds or, or out of bounds, I should say. That one to Murray. Who by the way, maybe that's part of the reason why I was so shell-shocked post-game. I was actually just shocked that calls went the Bill's way because that shit never happens. That offside it's like it's a silly a game. game. <laughs> yeah. If that's, you know, that, that usually doesn't happen against the Bills, Somebody will get away with a penalty. We saw, you know, the Eagles game, Darius Slay got away with two egregious pass interference calls, lots of shit going on in that game. But yeah, the bills not only got the break because of Darius Tony, but I thought Latavius Murray dropped that ball. I did not think that was a completed catch. They ruled it a catch and a fumble went out of bounds. That was a big break for the bills there. So I almost didn't know how to act, but anyway, that magician of a play, nobody does that shit. And that's one of the good things that I remember earlier in the game, there was a a fourth and one down or fourth and one play credit to Sean McDermott for going for it there, by the way, they faked the handoff. He started rolling out. Looked like he could have ran for whatever reason. He didn't, then he pumped the ball and he pumped it again and again and again. And then he threw it sidearm to Dalton Kincaid who made a fantastic catch there. So he did a lot of his Joshy, really good stuff. A couple bad things, um, there was some pressure, but he should have saw Gabe Davis was wide open for what should have been a fourth quarter touchdown. I believe it was on the final uh, drive where they ended up with a field goal. There was that, there or maybe it wasn't that drive, but he definitely missed Gabe Davis wide open for what would have been a touchdown. Um, trying to throw into the end zone, a, a low throw to, to Stephon Diggs on that last drive too, when you want to really run some clock. Uh, so, you know, it's good in Josh. And like I said, he did that interception, did turn the game. It was 14-0 Bills. They have the ball. They're getting the ball to start the second half too. You can't make that mistake. And he's throwing a pick nine straight games. Although a couple of those nine have been like Hail Mary situations or whatever, but you know what I'm saying? He's made some mistakes, but yeah, they're harnessing him. They're harnessing him a little bit more, but they're allowing him to still be himself. And he is making plays with his legs. He did score a touchdown run. Really nice one too. Um, I'm really happy with Josh, man. I feel like this is the level that that they need him to play at. And the interception and shit like that, you got to live with it, right? I mean, if you're going to get great Josh, you're going to have to live with, you know, what, what you see once in a while.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, that's the story of Josh Allen's career so far is he makes those incredibly unbelievable plays that nobody else in the game can make, but he's also going to make a few boneheaded decisions by doing too much. So as long as the good continues to outweigh the bad, which wasn't the case, you know, start the start to the season but as long as that's the case and they're continuing to actually let him use his legs and run the ball uh, i'm perfectly fine with every once in a while you get a bad turnover yes that one was really bad because you said 14 nothing getting the ball in the second half you, you pretty much served uh seven points on your defense right there but yeah as long as the good outweighs the bad i'm okay with a few boneheaded mistakes by josh allen
1: All right, I am back with PK from the Buffalo Sports Collective. We're going to dive into the Sabres in just a few minutes. But again, i we need to spend a few more minutes How about the Bills because this was just such a big victory. We're more than halfway through the show, and there's a name I have not even thrown out there yet, which kind of shows you how under the radar he is, but what an important player he is to this team, and more specifically this offense. And that's James Cook. This guy has become a legitimate weapon on the Buffalo Bills. 10 carries for 58 yards, uh, five catches for 83 yards, and a touchdown, which, by the way, that was all in the first half. This is the guy that I feel like the Bills last year, Brandon being moved up and took or won in the second round, I should say, because of this reason, his ability coming out of the backfield. So if you're asking me for maybe the biggest difference from what we've seen with the Ken Dorsey offense versus – a Joe Brady offense besides the obvious Josh Allen's legs now are a weapon as well but the other thing to me besides that is running back usage and the way they're using them and specifically James Cook coming out of the backfield again five catches for 83 yards he should have had a touchdown in Philly in the first quarter he a perfect wheel route great play call by Brady and Cook unfortunately dropped that pass but anyway that notwithstanding my point is James Cook has been really, really good. And my issue right now with the Bills offense and their personnel, and I get it to an extent why Latavius Murray's getting these snaps, but James Cook only played 45% of the snaps against the Kansas city chiefs. That's not enough, man. This guy, I think I saw a stat. He's now third in the NFL, more running backs in uh total yards from scrimmage. We need more James Cook out there because he is a legitimate weapon, dude.
2: Yeah. I mean, if, if, correct me if I heard this wrong in the three games under Joe Brady, he's got a hundred over a hundred yards from scrimmage. And this is the type of running back that I thought we were going to get last year in the second round. I was ecstatic when they drafted him. I mean, yes, you don't want to draft running backs that early because, you know, their career doesn't last that long, but I thought what he was able to bring to this team last year was exactly what they needed. You know, that guy that can take that dump off and house it. That, that guy in the screen game. But then we never saw it. And in this Joe Brady offense, we need to see him on the field at, what, 60% of the time at least? Sure. I mean, there's no reason. He's not going to break down. He is one tough dude i mean how many times do you see him after first contact continue to move forward it was similar to like devin singletary where i couldn't remember the last time devin singletary got tackled behind the line of scrimmage even when he was getting tackled he would fall forward i see that a bit in him that wheel route (laughs) and just straight up the field straight up the seam wide open and i think that was i know there was rumors that alan you know check to that, but I think he just said, Hey, it's open. Just run down the field. And that was a play designed by Joe Brady. I I think that's what they were saying. I think that's what sales Capaccio ended up saying this morning, but I, I, he just needs to be out there a bit more. And again, like you said, I understand why Latavius Murray's on this team. I understand that he has a specific role. I just wish that role was reduced a bit and you know, split that up between James Cook getting more and even Ty Johnson. Getting Ty Johnson, more. I like him. Yeah, I mean, it, it, if Cook gets on the field for at least 60 to 65% of the time, he's not going to gas out because half the time he's sitting on the bench because he's getting benched. <laughs> so I would love for him to be a part of the offense even more, especially when you see guys in the game on Sunday where Diggs was, what, four catches on 11 targets. D- Davis didn't even see any catches? Yeah, you didn't get much from Shakir at all. Dalton Kincaid wasn't that big of a factor. Deontay can-
1: Hardy was their leading receiver. Right yards, twenty five yards on one catch. On one you catch, had all on three receivers. snaps.
2: Yeah, three edge. snaps on the team.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, uh, Jason brought up a good point in the chat, and and, and it's accurate too. Brady said that they went with more Murray in the second half over Kansas City, adjusted to put it a secondary player on Cook, so they tried to adjust by going heavier running back, but Cook was on fire. Partially true, but more so even than anything else is James Cook is a lousy pass blocker and the Bills offensive line simply could not block the K. They could not stop the Kansas City pass rush. I think Josh Allen was pressured 23 times, I think the stat was. Although some of those pressures were attributed to Josh holding on to the ball and trying to find a receiver. There were some times where he definitely held the ball for too long. But Latavius Murray is a much more, he's a much better, or if nothing else, trusted pass blocker than James Cook. So it kind of seems like with the Bills offense, if James Cook is out there, he's probably going to be a target in the pass offense if he's not running the ball. Like he was split out wide a handful of times. I saw that when Josh was throwing the ball. But yeah, you, I look, I, I like Latavius Murray, but yeah, give me 60% of snaps for Cook, maybe 20% for Ty Johnson, because I think he could do some good things as well. And then 20% with... um. With Murray. I'll, I'll tell you though, I'm a little bit concerned. I, I'm going to bring it up this comment to Leanne. I, I think this is a little bit too far. She says, Cook is awesome, but not going to lie. I missed the Diggs Allen connection. The honeymoon is over with them. I won't go that far. I'm not, I don't think the honeymoon's over with them. But what I will say is that for a handful of weeks now, Stefan Diggs offensively in this offense has been just another guy. You know, he hasn't had a big game now in a while. It's That's going to have to change starting probably Sunday with Dallas. But, you know, I kind of defended Gabe Davis in this way, and I'll say the same thing about Stephon. You want James Cook being a weapon, and he is. You want Delta Kincaid being a weapon, and he is. Maybe not so much this Sunday, but Khalil Shakir, he's been a weapon. Um, somebody's. There's only one football. You want Josh Allen to run the football with his legs. You want to be able to run the football more effectively. You want all these things on offense. Stephon Davis is not going to have nine catches for 140 yards. In a touchdown every week. Gabe Davis is not going to have six catches for 100 yards. I'd like to see Gabe Davis have freaking more than zero catches for zero yards. Don't get me wrong, but you know what I'm saying. Like They're trying to become a little more unpredictable and balanced. So individually, some stats may uh, suffer. But that said, Stephon Diggs did not have a good game. He dropped, which was basically a, a screen pass. It was almost like a handoff near the end of the game. That was a big drop. And he had another drop too, so... Not not a good day for Stefan. They got away with it, but not a good game for Stefan.
2: Yeah, I thought this was probably his worst game as a Buffalo Bill. But the, the, the good thing to look at, it's not like they're going away from him. He still had 11 targets. And I will give credit to Snead. He's one of the best lockdown corners Absolutely. in the entire league. So even Stefan Diggs, if you look at what Snead's been able to do against wide receivers this year, he's locking everybody down. So Diggs was no exception sure. to this. It's not like they were going away from him. It's just nothing was working even in those screen games. Like you said, two drops in that one, especially in that fourth down one where if, if you catch that, you run it down to the two minute warning likely. And then I I think they were playing for hopefully Kansas city doesn't get the ball. But I think once he dropped that, it was like, okay, we got to go for a touchdown here because they're going to have timeouts and they're getting the ball back regardless. But there there's definitely going to have to be a time probably next week versus Dallas that you're going to have to have a big Stefan Diggs week. And, if it doesn't come versus Dallas, uh, I, I'm 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 very nervous about the Dallas game. That's all I can say.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's not a game where you want Stephon uh, to to be quiet. Let's just put it that way. And especially if Dallas wins that game, and his brother starts talking some shit, man. But um, one other thing too that I didn't even mention is defense. You know, the Bills defense at the end of the day, and this is kind of what set tone box up. Which, by the way, go back if you haven't watched or listened, everybody, to everybody yesterday's show. Don't Bucks was in his feelings in some kind of way, even though the Bills won that game. But I pointed this out. It kind of set him off because he started screaming about them getting lucky because of the penalty at the end. And he's not wrong, but whatever. They got Kansas City's last four drives netted them three points. They had a turnover, a great Christian Benford play that uh, turned the ball over. They had, they forced him to a punt. They gave up a field goal. And then the end of the game, Turnover on downs. You know, that was only first down where the Kelsey, Tony, Lateral, and, you know, would the Bills have lost the game? Probably, because, again, that's kind of the way it goes. But to the defense's credit, they didn't get rattled by any of that shit, man. And then they stopped them, three straight plays, three good pass rushes on Mahomes to to end the game. So, again, going back to this, I don't think the Bills got enough credit on, at least on my show, at least, yesterday. I want to make sure that I give them that, too. One other thing for Dallas. I'm going to read a comment. I want to circle back to to Sean McDermott. Dad Brown tweeted this out, and it's a direct quote from Sean McDermott. Kind of go full circle with him there. He says, it's incredible when a town embraces you as a family. We've had ups and downs as a football team, but the unyielding support the community has shown me is just incredible and a true blessing. That's from Sean McDermott on Monday, and I'm kind of laughing a little bit because I'm thinking about what you said, and that's so right. Had the Bills lost his game, inside the final two minutes and Tony doesn't make that penalty and they lose because of that lateral at the end and say, Josh gets stopped and the chiefs walk off that field and a victory. I'm pretty confident that the community support as Sean McDermott is feeling right now. Maybe not quite as much. Yeah. It might've been a little <laughs> bit more quiet. <laughs> holy Lord, man. Holy Lord. So anyway, yeah, the bill's seven and six now dead smack in the middle. Not good, you know, because they do have five conference losses. But you look at these other teams, and a lot of them are playing each other. If the Bills went out, they're getting in the playoffs. I promise you that. So if they get to 11 wins, which, you know, two of those four games, especially now because Justin Herbert's having surgery, he probably he's not going to be playing for the Chargers, and they'll be mailing in at that point. Dallas, Miami, you're tough games. Anyway, you went out, you're getting in the playoffs. 10 wins, you win three of the four. Eh, dicey, 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 man. I'd say 40 to 55%, probably somewhere in that range is what I'm thinking right now. But I don't know. I I don't know if you watch that Dallas game on Sunday night, but they, they beat the shit out of Philly, man. There's a good football team. What I like it for Buffalo though, is it is Dallas. They are going to Orchard Park and they're doing it in December. So that's the biggest advantage the Bill's had. They will be at home. The crowd is going to be back on their side. They're supporting the coach again, which is always cool, I guess, but, um, Big game. Another big game. You go from one big game to the next. That's what happens when you're 6-6 and after 12 games, though, you know?
2: Yeah, I mean, Dallas is a tank right now. They don't feel like the Cowboys of past years, where it's like you're just waiting for the epic collapse. I don't know what it is, but Dak's playing unbelievable. I think he should probably be the MVP of the league right now with what he's been able to do on that offense. The benefit, though, Tony Pollard has not been very good. Their running game has not been very good, but CD lamb is just insane. So that yep. connection between Dak and a uh, CD lamb, I'm hoping Douglas is ready to bring his primetime game versus uh, lamb. Cause uh, that's going to be needed. Even their defense, they haven't been as strong as they were to start the season, but they're still a really, really good defense. I'm that, that that game is terrifying to me.
1: <laughs> Buffalo is a one point favorite going into this game. I thought it was one and a half, but somewhere between one to two. Anyway, that's probably what it will be on Sunday. I'm going to give you a kind of a a a bold take, a hot take. I don't know what you want to call it. I actually feel pretty strangely confident in this game for Buffalo right now. I don't think Dallas, they're unbeatable at home. They're 7-0 at home. They're only 3-3 and on the road. Uh, again, this is a huge Well, It's a big game for both teams. Dallas is fighting for a, a division title with, uh, with Philly. If they can find a way to contain Micah Parsons, which is a hell of a lot easier said than done, because that dude will straight wreck a game. I really like the Bills. I think the Bills defense could play well against the Dallas offense, although we did find out on Monday, A.G. Epinesa, Micah Hyde, both week-to-week injuries, so they're going to be out multiple games. Not really thrilled about that. But anyway, I'll talk more this week, and I'm sure you will, on Buffalo Sports Collective. Like you said, when you do your next show um, on Friday, you'll talk some more Bills as well. Let's talk savings for a few before we get out of here, because you know what, man? It's... um. It's fun to be able to, to and even if it's just for a night, to enjoy a, a very good game, a home game where the Sabres score five goals, which is almost unheard of in this economy, especially the way they started out scoring um, a 5-2 victory over Arizona. Very impressive. This is a team now they've got, what, five points out of their last six? Yep. 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 Um, the funniest thing is, all right, so you don't you know, watch the game, and I tell you, oh, the Sabres won five two at home, and you'd be like, oh, really? Tays take scores, you know, Skinner scores, Tuck Tuck's on playing, you know, Tuck scores, blah blah. blah. No, because guess what? That fourth line scored not one, not two, but three goals. Ocposo scores, Krebs scores, and Eric Robinson scores and has himself a three point night, as did uh, Kyle Ocposo. Talk about that, man. Let's start there. Let's get some, let's get some a little bit of shine to a, to a embattled Sabres fourth line that played like goddamn, like the first line on this night. Anyway, it was pretty wild and and fun to watch that.
2: This is a bad day for bad takes exposed for me because, uh, (laughs) uh, well, a couple weeks ago, I wanted him to bench Kyle Oposo. Uh, Last 10 Who games, he's got five goals, three assists, eight points. I oh. was bashing the trade of Eric Robinson. I'm like, yep, that's exactly what this team needs is a team that's struggling to score. They bring in a grinder. Uh, yeah. Three point night. Don't look back at my uh, previous shows. Those didn't happen. I've always believed in these moves that the Buffalo Sayers have been doing. But yeah, that fourth line, unbelievable. And when you can play a game of that magnitude of where you need points. This team needs to go on runs of stacking wins, not just going to overtime and getting that you know pity point. Sure. You yeah. need wins and to stack wins. And this was a good solid win to get when your fourth line is contributing three of those five goals. And I mean, unbelievable. The, <laughs> Eric Johnson, he is so speedy that I didn't actually believe how quick. He, he's just that grinder that I absolutely, <laughs> I, I hate this myself for doing this he's in front of the net battling for those dirty goals. And that's exactly what the team needed. And they he's need getting it. them. And it it's, it's blowing my mind that he's able to do this. It, they Buffalo might be losing their seventh round pick. Cause I don't know how you're going to be able to take him out of the lineup. If this is the <laughs> type of performance yeah. you're getting.
1: Let me, let, let me jump into the talking Buffalo um, confessional booth right now. So the Sabres trade for Eric Robinson and give up a what, what you just said. It conditional, conditional, a, a, a seventh. conditional, <laughs> conditional seven. First of all, if you get traded, if you're an NHL player and you're getting traded for a conditional seventh round pick, that team that traded you, you, they don't value you all that much. let's just put it that way. If you're getting a conditional seventh round pick. But anyway, here's my confession. I'm tweeting. I see, I tweet about, oh, like oh, great. Kind of what you said, you know, they missed out and from, you know, Pat Kane, you could have, there's a lot of mixed feelings about that. Maybe that's not a bad thing that the Sabres missed out on Pat Kane, but the sentiment is this team needs to score more freaking goals. You know, the, the, the bottom six forwards are the problem of this hockey team. They don't, they don't bring nothing to the table offensively. So I see some tweets and I'm saying the same thing, same sentiments. You know, great. You know, another fourth line goof that the other team didn't watch or didn't want. He was putting out waivers a couple months ago and nobody claimed them. Yada, yada, yada. I'm tweeting all this negative shit out of Eric Robinson. Here's the truth. I didn't know who the fuck Eric Robinson even was. They didn't even know who he was. No idea. 90% I just of the
2: people didn't. <laughs> I
1: I listen to people I like, you know, on Twitter, us, hockey Twitter, Sabres Twitter. You know, Chad D. Dominis says I'm not necessarily you know trying to call him out specifically, but every because everybody had the same reaction. I was like, oh, really? This is this is your move to create more offense to go get a fourth liner that Columbus didn't even want. You know, so I'm not calling him out. I'm just saying that's how everybody was. And I jumped on that bandwagon. But the difference between Chad and myself is Chad D. knows who the hell Eric Robinson is and what his you know pros and cons as a player are. I know shit about him. I just jumped on the wagon that everybody else said because I was just like, great. Another four-flying guy who gives a shit about. Well, early returns suggest that this guy is going to be a keeper, man. He looks for that role. And he's not going to have three-point nights quite often. At least I don't think he's going to. But he looks like a good fit on that krebs postal line. I thought that line looked pretty good. They got the puck in. They were cycling it well. They were generating chances. And they put three pucks in the net. That's just, um it's unexpected. So maybe this guy is just going to give him a lift man, on this game. I really like what I saw from him. I, and I'm kind of almost, yesterday I was stunned that the Bills won. I'm kind of stunned that I'm talking about Eric Robinson, having a 3.9 in the fourth line for the Sabres is Dominating a team that's not really terrible.
2: Yeah, I mean, I can't remember who put it on Twitter tonight, but they were saying that if this is the Eric Robinson you're going to be getting with the setback of Zemgus Gergensen, even when he comes back, he's going to have a tough time getting his spot back because sure. Robinson's just quicker. He he lays the body, he gets into those dirty areas, and again, it's very small sample size and. It, like you said, we're not expecting three point nights. I'd be happy if he gets one point every other game. I mean, every sure. fourth game, I'd yeah. be happy about that. Cause that's what you're getting from your fourth line, but that type of effort on the penalty kill as well, that he's going to contribute there. I, I really like that fourth line jelling together and, Akposo just looks like he has a bit more energy these last 10 games. Maybe he heard me in saying that he should be up in the press box because he's not adding anything to this team. Why he was on the second power play, beyond me. He's just like a load of bricks there. Last 10 games, unbelievable. I mean, he he's turned his whole season around. But the biggest thing for this one also, um, Ryan Johnson, I don't know why they keep benching him for – over a guy like Eric Johnson. Eric Johnson was very bad in this gun. In, in my opinion, I I didn't think he played a very good game. Ryan Johnson paired with Owen power. That is such a good second yeah. pairing on defense. I don't know. He's just so calm and composed back there where he's always making the smart decisions to get the puck out of the zone, which was a big issue in this game where their second goal, I believe it was uh, Brett Murray. Couldn't get it out of the zone and it ended up leading to a goal for the coyotes. It's just, i I wish that they would just keep that pairing together with Power and Johnson and just figure out the rest when Samuelson's back healthy and coming back in. Figure out the rest, but at least leave Ryan Johnson in the lineup.
1: it's it's tough. It's not easy to figure out why uh, right. Eric Johnsons in the lineup every day. whether it's whether it's um Granado not wanting to mess with any locker room stuff. Whether it's maybe Kevin Adams saying, well, you know, we signed him as a free agent. Maybe it's a bad look to other veterans out there for putting this guy in the press box. I don't know. You're right, though. You can't tell me Ryan Johnson's is not one of the best six defensive players on this team right now. I was really impressed with him tonight. But um, Turk also scored, by the way. And who? Uh, oh, Rasmus with Saline. Empty netter. Good for him. The other guy that I want to talk about, you know, so the fourth line is, is look great or at least look great on Monday night, I should say. Devin Levi had another strong game. So he's been up for three games now and he's had three strong games. And it's just weird because he got sent down to Rochester to get games, to get experience, get his confidence up, get, you know, himself more, a little more NHL ready than Omar goes down he was with an illness right it wasn't an injury I yeah, think was- UPL. UPL. yeah upl 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 my god i say that <laughs> once a month like i once a month i still say linus Ol- or linus omar instead of UPL. anyway yeah upl is down for a while so they gotta bring levi up which i heard some criticism some people said takarski should have been the call up just to, to get him up let him be the backup and comry some to match it in that because you're supposed to have Devin in Rochester, right now, getting these games, getting this experience kick is called up, and he looks like he did at the end of last year for the most part. He was really good again, couple big saves 21 saves, 23 shots. Um, yeah, he's dude, he's been great all three games. I think he's been great and all three straight starts, too, right? He started three straight games, yeah, yep, yeah. So now he's back to playing like at the beginning of the season when he was playing, you know, he was the net minder nearly every night. So, I don't know what's your take on that. How he's playing, and now that UPL, because I think UPL was the backup tonight, I believe he was yep, anyway. Yep. Um, what do you do? Because he was playing hot for a while, too. So, I don't know. We'll, we'll, if you're not going to play Devin Levi a lot, you got to send him back down. I, what, what are they doing? What are we doing here?
2: My official stance is I have no idea what they're playing. <laughs> <is>. <laughs> but, I mean, his worst time was the shootout. In, uh what was it, Saturday versus Montreal? Yeah, he yeah. He led in three of the four. Yeah, not great, not but no. in this game, he was so composed back there. He was the old Zen master, calm, composed in net. Sure. He made that great breakaway, um, breakaway save when it was still keeping a three-goal lead there. The one was not his fault. The second goal was not his fault. The guy came from his blind side. Even the first one, the defense was so clustered over to the one side where they yeah. just let a ripper by that that side but he, he's very very calm and composed in there but I, I don't know what they do i don't see how they can carry three go they go same situation i didn't want him to carry three goaltenders to start the season they're right but, back where they started now yeah but I, I don't see how you can go to Comrie at all with the two goalies no. ahead of him mm-hmm. but he can't go down to rochester so what are you going to do wave him and expect him but then you're relying on levi and upl to continue to do this, it, It's the same situation to start the season is do you go back to UPL who had such a great run? And that's the reason why Levi got sent down until UPL got sick. Or do you keep riding the kid where after four games to start the season, he ended up getting hurt and then you r- lose all the momentum. So I have no idea what they're planning on doing, but I still stand that three goalies is not the way to do it.
1: I I couldn't agree more. And yeah, they're right back to where they were to start the season. The difference is, Devin Levi was a little shaky to start the season, whereas he's looked really good these last three games. And plus, you had EP, UPL playing well and Comrie kind of sort of playing like shit. But yeah, to, to to wave Comrie and potentially lose him, which could happen if they wave him, I, I don't know if they would lose him or not. But if you wave him, that's pretty much saying we're rolling with UPL and Levi. And now Levi's here to stay. He's not going to Rochester. Like right now, they could just send him back down and bullshit fans by seeing UPL with something, you know, we're going to go back to UPL for a while, blah, 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 blah. I don't know what they're going to do. I just hope they don't carry three goalies though. So I, I, if that means, I guess I'm saying that I'm good with Levi staying up now. He's showed me the last three games that he's good. Now, maybe you don't play him as much. Maybe you have more of a true platoon, and you're not playing Levi seven out of every ten games. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know. It's, it's it's good to just see this team get points now because it was getting <laughs> it was really frustrating. To watch too. I mean, Jesus, we were going at it, you know what they lost four straight games in regulation before these last three games where they got five out of six points. And I'm thinking to myself, look, please don't be out of this race. Don't get buried before Christmas. You know, don't get buried before Christmas. And people are like, Oh, it's only six, it's only six points, it's only eight points. These are conferences stacked, and it's not even the amount of points that you're behind, it's the teams that are ahead of you, too. It's not like you only got to leap one or two teams to make up four to six points. Like, even right now, it's just at the standings go right this minute as we're recording, they're four points out of a wild card, but they still got four teams. They got to jump to get to that wild card. Montreal, Carolina, New Jersey, and Tampa. And Pittsburgh is right there, too. So, you know, it's not even the points. It's the amount of teams you got to jump. You just you can't, you can't get buried. To their credit, though, getting five out of six is definitely a good start.
2: Yeah, they just got to keep stacking these wins. That's what we've been saying for since October is they're they're not capable of playing consistent hockey so far this season. If you can rattle off three or four straight wins, maybe this is the, the momentum that they need. Maybe going into a Wednesday when they face Colorado, which is, that, that one's scary to me, but maybe going into that one, if you can rattle off another win and get seven out of eight, I mean, you're slowly inching back towards the top. We've been sure. saying that you can't make the playoffs to start the season but you can definitely blow any opportunity you have like you said four points back of the wild card spot but it's it's not the points; it's the teams you have to jump right that was the biggest issue where if you were four points back with like two teams to jump not that big of a deal but it's it's the teams you got to jump to get back into the race and that's what's in line, they got to stack wins now. It was a great win. It was fun to watch. They were actually having fun on the ice. It was enjoyable to watch once again, but this is one win. You got to keep stacking the wins now.
1: They've, this was their 29th game in the season and they've only had, uh, they've only won consecutive games once so far, uh, this season, um, three game West coast trip coming up. Now you, you mentioned the first team they're playing Wednesday and This is not easy folks, Wednesday in Colorado, Friday in Vegas, which of course is always going to be an interesting game when Jack Eichel's out there for Vegas. And then Saturday night, a rematch this time in Arizona. Um, I got to put up a comment too. By by the way, long time friend, Leanne King, she says Buffalo, she lives near Vegas, by the way, Buffalo at Vegas, Buffalo four to three, make your bet on that today. Tell you what, Lee, I'm not going to make that bet. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Do you say realistically, so you're going on the West coast, these three games to me, if you can get three out of six points to me, that would be a successful swing. Really? I mean, you want six, you'd love five or even four, but I think if you can get three, three out of six going on the West coast for this swing, I would call that a, maybe not the most successful trip, but at least a productive trip.
2: Yeah, I think it was Chad Demesis put out the other day that before this game, they needed 69 out of 108 possible points to keep pace of what the wildcard two spot was yeah, currently at. Yep, 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 yep. So they, they got two already, but yeah, I think they need at least four. I, th- I really think they need at least four on this West Coast. I know going West trip is difficult, but it could also be what the team needs because you travel all the way to West Coast, young team, maybe that's what they need because it's a long flight a long trip. You're away from your family. You're just with the the teammates. Maybe that's another thing that they need to start rattling off points because this game was fun to watch. If they continue to play this style of hockey and get the defense and goaltending that they did, I mean, they could rattle off some big wins in this. I I wouldn't be shocked if they do get four or six on this West Coast trip.
1: And Alex Tuck, by the way, should be back on Wednesday. He's missed um, the last few games. Before I let you go. You are first and foremost for people who don't know. Um, PK, along with his co host Phil, they have Buffalo Sports Collective twice a week now. Bandits are in season, a-, a loss to start the season. I am utterly uneducated when it comes to the Buffalo Bandits. I'm not going to lie, but I told you this last week. I'm going to be covering some Bandits games, going to live tweet. I'm going to learn the sport. I'm really going to dig in and I'm going to do a couple uh, live. Post-game shows from the arena actually following some bandits games. I can't wait. and I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Uh the bandits lost their their opener, or not, not their, I was gonna say their home opener, they were on the road. Uh, quickly, just a, a couple of minutes to tell us about that opener and, and and what you're seeing from this team through one game, because I am going to force myself into learning about this team and and talking about this team because. I've told you this before on past episodes that I've had you on. Um, there, there's a lack of Bandits coverage, which I, that's why I give you so much credit. There's a, a glaring lack of Buffalo Bandits coverage for a championship team here that a lot of fans are very passionate about, and um, I respect that. So anyway, uh, you know, not, not a good opener, though, right?
2: No, uh, it looked like a team that partied a bit too much. In the offseason with their championship, which, I mean, it happened last year as well. The the same team that they lost to on Saturday beat them 11-10 last year. Uh, I'm, I'm not overreacting. I'm not worried about it. Matt Vince played really bad. The defense played really bad. They were way out of sorts. But the back end has a lot of moving pieces because at least two guys from the championship run last year are out. One of them's out for the year. One of them's out until maybe March at the earliest. So they're still learning their way back there. They got a young rookie in Cam Wires back there who had a rough start to his season, but I, I'm very high on him. The offense, I'm not worried about. It, it just seemed like the first half of the game, and this is something that the team's going to have to learn to play since they're facing every single team this year. Every single team is going to play them exactly how Albany played them in Week One. They're going to try to get them off their game. They're going to try to get them to take stupid penalties. They're going to try to get them, you know, try to get them in fights and get them in the penalty box because that takes any rhythm out of your offense, puts them in the penalty box. It just seemed like they got off their edge early in the game, and they just couldn't climb back out of that hole. Eight goals from Albany in the second quarter—not ideal. But it's it's one game. I'm not worried about it. You sure. can go look in all the bandage chats. Everybody thinks the world is falling down because they lost the <laughs> team They're, They don't have their face off guy. Mad Vince is over the hill. They should fire Johnny Tavares. We said it in the Monday show one game. Relax. They lost game one last year. <laughs> they went on to win the championship. It's one game. If they come out home opener and banner raising ceremony on Saturday, do the same thing then you could start putting up some red flags a bit, but I, I'm not concerned whatsoever about one bad loss because that happens, especially when you just, you know, we're partying after a championship all, all off season.
1: <laughs> yeah, I get it, man. Not, not, not a big surprise. That's going to do it for today's show. I want to thank our sponsor one more time, Imperial Pizza. Like I said, one of the best places for pizza and wings and all kinds of food that you'll find anywhere in Buffalo, two locations now. Make sure you follow PK on Twitter at PK underscore BSC. Check out Buffalo sports collective, their podcast twice weekly now Monday and Friday uh, PK along with his partner Phil. They really do a great job. Like I said, especially with the Buffalo bandits and, and they talk savers and bills as well. So make sure you check them out. Hopefully I'll run into you pretty soon at a, uh, a bandits game. You've been on the show a handful of times now. I'm looking forward to actually meeting you in person. Yeah, I'll be up in the press box a few games, so I'll see you there. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you soon at the arena. And for everyone else, I'll be back tomorrow. Buffalo Bills All-22 film and PFF grades analysis day right here on Talking Buffalo.